Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok, and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to this week's Inside the Hive. I'm your host, Nick Bilton, and I have a very, very special guest today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, Inside the Hive. I'm Beth Levin. I'm so happy to be here. Beth, who are you and why the hell are you on the show today? Can you can you tell our adoring listeners so they, they know why they're actually listening right now? So I am here because I am an employee of the Hive. I write about Wall Street um, and the people on it who are completely insane and, you know, the people, the Wall Street people who have made their way into the Trump administration who are equally insane, if not more. And, you know, that those those crazy worlds. So that's why I'm here. So let's just jump right in uh, at the bottom, which is where the markets are this week. Um, (laughs) And can you kind of explain what happened? Um, It's, you know, I mean, what we had the biggest point drop in in Dow history. Yes. S&P's down. I mean, I have I I I don't think I've I was expecting this when, you know, when I woke up Monday morning. What happened? So on Friday, they had this jobs report. Um, They beat on expectations for jobs, but also there was the fact that wages were climbing. um, And that was, you know, that's considered good news, but it was also scary given a bunch of other factors, which is that the economy is really strong. You've got these rising wages. So now people are worried about the Fed raising interest rates even more than they're already planning on doing this year and then a possibility of a recession. So on Friday, the market dropped, I think the Dow dropped 666 points, which a little ominous. And then, um, and then on Monday, you had this crazy drop. And, you know, so it's just, you can't point to any one thing, but it was, it was this, uh, these wage numbers, possibility of more interest um, hikes. And then, of course, you know, we're living in the quant world. It's their world. We're just living in it. And so you have all these fancy algorithmic trading um, robots. And so they're all programmed. I saw saw a great tweet. Um, Someone had... uh, you know, there were people tweeting those classic pictures of the of the stock traders with yeah. their head in their hand, and someone <laughs> tweeted a pit. Someone tweeted a picture of a uh, of a rack of servers and said, "Look at all these sad <laughs> stock traders, and look how up- upset they are." Because really, that's what it was. It was all yeah. the fonts that really made this this happen, right? Yeah, I, it it 
definitely it made the fall accelerate when they were all tripped up by whatever they were programmed to do at the same time. So that definitely, I think like at one point on Monday, there was an eight or 900 point drop within like 10 minutes. And so that definitely was um, exacerbated or that was caused by these quants, these robots um, and everything like that. So we're recording this on Thursday and, you know, when listeners hear this tomorrow, which will actually be today, yeah. uh, um, uh, there's a little little mind mind fuck for you. Yeah. Um, the the who knows what will happen. But today, as we're recording this, the market's down another two and a half percent. It's you know it looks when you look at a five day stretch of what's happened, um, it looks like a pretty kind of nauseating uh, fall down a hill and maybe a little bit of a cat bounce back up, but then a fall again. Is this a new trend that we're going to see, or is this a is this just a one time thing? Like, what do you think is going to happen over the next few weeks? And I know it's really hard to predict what's going to happen <laughs> to the markets. If if you could predict, you probably would not be talking to me. You'd be sitting on an island somewhere. Yes, but I think but, so. But what is what are you hearing? What are people saying? Um, uh, and then I have another question for you after that, which we can get to, which is what what role is Trump and the administration actually playing in, in, in this right now? Okay. So question one, which obviously this is not financial advice to anyone. <laughs> I need financial advice. So hopefully <laughs> like when this is a call-in radio show, people can call in and tell me what to do with my money. Um, but, you know, it's people aren't really sure. There's a few scenarios that people are talking about yesterday, I believe, or um, on – Tuesday, possibly, Goldman Sachs told clients that, you know, they 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 still see uh, stocks rising. They still believe in this market. And they, they reiterated, I think, their call for um, the S&P for 2018. So they, they still see this as being a bull market. Um, you had this guy, Dennis Gartman, who is saying that he he sees things going in the in the other way. He sees a big correction coming and how much of a correction, he's not really sure. And then you had legendary curmudgeon Carl Icahn saying kind of a little bit of both. He was saying, I think in the short term, um, we're still going to have this sort of market rally. But I think in the slightly longer term, uh, he was saying that this is like the tremors of the earthquake. And I'm not sure when the earthquake is going to happen, but it's going to happen. So basically, like, you're will be an earthquake. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, you're okay now, but you're fucked (laughs) in the long term. In the future. And I mean, he'll probably be dead by then. So he, you know, he he doesn't have to worry about that. He was talking about 1929. It was pretty scary. Well, I, I I do happen to tend to agree with him. This podcast usually ends up with some sort of terrifying thing about the future. <laughs> yeah. Um, so okay. So the second question. Yeah. Um, okay. How much does the administration and what Trump is doing play into all this stuff? So <laughs> the other day, uh, I think I sent you this tweet, or I'm sure you saw it yourself because everyone did. Um, but Trump characteristically couldn't help himself but weighing in on the situation. He was very angry. He was saying, in the old days, when good news was reported, the stock market would go up. Today, when good news is reported, the stock market goes down big mistake. And so what he was sort of referencing in his own deranged, um, nonsensical way is that we did get good news on Friday. Wages are up. The economy is generally strong. And so, yes, you would think that that's good news. But it was bad news because 
we have these big tax cuts coming. We have the fear that basically almost like the economy is doing too well. And with this big stimulus coming, which tons of people like before they passed the tax bill, experts were saying this is not the right time for a tax cut. Like the economy, you're you're going to pour like gasoline on an already roaring fire. It's It's going to be doing too well, and that could lead to a recession. So this big stimulus that they're putting into the market that is playing into these fears of rising interest rates and a recession and and things like that. So that's what he was sort of talking about, how like, yes, the economy is good, but he's his actions and the big tax cut are kind of making it p- potentially worse, if that makes any sense. Yeah, completely. So it... it- is um, so. Here's a question. So uh, last week, our colleague uh, Bill Cohan yes. uh, had this fantastic, <laughs> juicy, delicious. <laughs> I mean, unbelievable piece on the mooch. Greatest Mr. Scar- story Mr. Scaramucci. Yeah. And there was one. There was one part in the beginning uh-huh. which I thought was which is, was fantastic. I'm going to read it real quick. Okay. And this is a quote. This is a quote from the the mooch, and okay. he says. I want you to imagine the worst person you've met in Wall Street, the most ruthless and the most diabolical. That, that's the best person in Washington. That's the Eagle Scout of Washington. And essentially what he was saying was that he spent years as a, on, on, on Wall Street, Goldman Sachs, hedge funds, this, that, and the other. The, the, the people on Wall Street are just diabolical, yeah. unethical, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and that when he got to Wall Street, and he met, and this is, I think, quite possibly the greatest nickname ever given to anyone in history, yeah. when he met Reince Pribus, who he has nicknamed <laughs> Rancid Penis, Great name. quote unquote, um, that he saw these awful, vile, just backstabbing people yeah. uh, running our country. Yeah. So one of the things that's happened with the Trump administration mm-hmm. is that all those people from, from Wall Street are now you know, the swamp got drained in the other direction. Yeah. Are they, are they, you know, are they trying to, are they aware of this stuff? They have to know what's going on. They have to know that if they pull these levers in certain directions, even if it's Trump that is pulling the levers, that uh-huh. that we could lead to market collapses or yeah. uh, a recession or so on and so forth. So are, are you saying that the Wall Street people who went to the Trump administration, like Gary and Mnuchin... Yeah, Gary Mnuchin, those guys who I do think are are you know especially Mnuchin, I don't think are good people. Right. Um, I think they kind of fit into that into that mold that that the Mooch was describing. Yeah. Are they are they you know but they still are aware of the actions of that they're taking and what they will do. Are yeah. they just so terrible that they are oblivious to it, or so are they? I just. What's going on? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think like Gary and Steve Mnuchin are two separate people or two separate situations. Gary is fascinating to me on so many levels because, you know, he worked at Goldman Sachs. He was surrounded by extremely intelligent people. He was basically one of the most powerful people on Wall Street. Then he goes to work for this clown car of an administration and, you know, supposedly people were thinking that he would be one of the so-called adults in the room and he would keep Trump from, you know, his his worst impulses and stuff like that. And 
I, I don't know what's happened to him. I feel like he has Stockholm syndrome because, you know, during this whole process with the with the tax bill and everything, I mean, first of all, you had his ex-boss, Lloyd Blankfein, saying a number of months ago, I don't think this is the right time for a big economic stimulus. So, like, obviously, he's very smart. He knows that. That's, that's what we were talking about before. Um, and Gary, I think, you know... I don't know what happens. I think like you go to this place and you think this place being the West Wing that um, I'm going to I'm going to protect America from like the inside, the whole like adult daycare thing. But you just can't, you know, like you any like any smart impulses or or ideas you have about guiding this ship in the right direction just they're just like completely stomped out of oblivion by this guy Donald Trump and then I think Mnuchin I just think Mnuchin is an idiot (laughs) I mean I think so many people think that he is just he's not a smart guy his father was partner at Goldman. He brought him in there. Then he, you know, worked at this (laughs) foreclosure machine that foreclosed on 30,000 people uh, when, you know, on his tenure. And he, he, but he doesn't like that when you bring that point up. And he just, I don't, I don't think he's that smart, but, you know, in terms of Gary, in terms of these otherwise smart people, I think just you can't, you think you're going to go in and, and, and do the right thing. and, And you just can't in this place. So... That's the long answer to that. So let's talk about the the mooch for a minute because yes. who doesn't who doesn't love talking about the oh, mooch? Oh God! Uh, uh, I mean, I, he's just I I, I want to like I would love to just be trapped in an elevator with him for oh, a couple of days. Yeah, as long as we had food and snacks and a right. toilet. But but uh, can you tell us a little bit about him? Like yeah. what makes him tick? I just I find him so fascinating. So, yeah. So Scaramucci, as probably a lot, a lot of people know this Scaramucci origin story by now, he – I think he went, to, he went to Harvard Law School and then he worked at Goldman Sachs and then he failed at his first job at Goldman Sachs. And then um, I, I don't know what was in between Goldman Sachs and him starting this company, uh, Skybridge Alternative Investments, which is basically like a fund-of-fund – fund-of-funds um, – that also had this like party on the other side in Las Vegas where he could just be this promoter. And he just like his the thing that gives him like lifeblood and the thing that gives him like all meaning in life is just being like this consummate schmoozer. So it kind of made sense when he was going from schmoozing on Wall Street to schmoozing in Washington. But clearly he didn't realize that Washington and Wall Street are very different places. Obviously, that's what he's talking about, you know, getting stabbed in the front by these sea creatures. And he's just like, he he's so fascinating to me. I I know that he is a guy who loves to be like I knew you from the old neighborhood, we're family, I'd, you know, stand in front of a bus for you. But I'm, like, endlessly fascinated by Have you met him? I have met him, yes. And what's he like in person? He's – I would say he's exactly like he is, you know, on TV and on print. So there's um, a part of me that wonders, like, he actually doesn't seem like a bad guy. Am I? Am I? Just, is it just because I like I like him and want to keep him as a little pet that I don't think he's a bad guy? Like he know, just looks like a. I see where it, you're coming from. I, I don't think he's inherently an evil person, but there's like there's so much that I don't understand. Like I 
I think Trump has like evil policies, obviously. I'm sure you agree with me, but yeah, of but course, absolutely. The mooch like there's nothing that Trump can do to like have the mooch say, "Okay, I'm done here." Like he campaigned for him. He was he was supposed to be like the great translator between the crazy stuff Trump was saying and like calming down, you know, like Wall Street's fears that he was actually that crazy um during the campaign and the election. But like, you know, he had his 10 days there. He got fired. He's not working there again, but he's going on TV after after the shithole comments and he said something like Trump is the least racist person you'll ever meet like there's no lesser racist than Trump and I just like don't I don't think he's bad but I don't understand these you know ridiculous statements in service to an obviously bad man you know yeah so um okay so getting back to to the to the markets for a minute yes um uh and we'll come back to, to the mooch because we have always to, we should just we should just brave this yes. markets mooch markets <laughs> mooch. Um, uh, what what is there? So the, the the administration has, as you said, they've kind of front loaded all the good stuff they can do deregulation. Yeah. Um, uh, you know uh, the tax cuts and all these different things. If we are heading towards a recession yeah. at some point, or if we're starting to see the tremors of that. There are, correct me if I'm wrong, but there are no other, there are no other tricks that they can pull out of the bag to stop that from happening, right? Other than manipulating interest rates a little bit, but like there's nothing that they can really do. Haven't they used up all their tricks? Yeah, and that's what people were saying, like in the lead up to um, the tax bill and everything like that. And it's just not only. Are we possibly going towards a recession? But people are saying, like, we will have fewer tools to deal with it. So, like, yeah, it's it's not good. <laughs> and so if that happens, right, yeah. um, you know, there was, a, there was a New York Times article this week when the markets fell. And mm-hmm. one of the things that they said in the article was you've never seen – you know, the reason you've never seen um, or you've rarely seen presidents in the past <laughs> – take credit for the market going up is because that means they have to take credit for the market going down. Right. Um, And I don't remember, maybe, maybe I was just kind of not paying attention, but I don't remember Obama, you know, coming out and touting every single day how the markets had gone up. Sure. You know, sure. He would say it probably at press conferences here or there when asked about it, but it wasn't Mm -hmm. this like beating his chest. And, um, and yet this is, I mean, Trump, it's a daily tweet from Trump. You know, it's, the market's up 500 points. The market's up 1,000 points. The highest it's ever been. Look it's how amazing. amazing I am. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, I think Obama, maybe in eight years, I could be wrong about this, but I think it was like three comments. Um, obviously, when he was running for re-election, he probably talked about it a little more on the campaign trail, but obviously nothing like what we're seeing now. It's, it's, it's a daily tweet. It's... <laughs> I'm amazing. Look at the market. And I also love the fact that like half of Americans aren't actually invested in the stock market. <laughs> so it's also kind of amazing. And, you know, especially like his base, I think, too. So it's it's amazing to me that he just ties himself to the market because I, I think he doesn't understand. I don't like he think he understands the words that are coming out of his mouth and like the impact of them, especially when he says them. So, so if the market does go in the way that a lot of people predict it will uh, inevitably in yeah. the next few years, um, who does Trump blame? 
I mean, because he's always... not going to take responsibility for it. No, right? no, no, no. You, you've always got Obama and Clinton. They're always good to blame. <laughs> Wait, how um, can you blame? How can you blame the? <laughs> Uh, the market on Obama and Clinton if you're taking credit for the rise of it. Even if you're Trump and you're kind of just make shit up. Like, how do you... I how think you, you, I think you underestimate that? him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how... Yeah, I mean, I'll have to get back to you on that. I'm sure he could do it. I believe in him. Like, this is this is his thing. I, I, I think, you know, what he did the other day, it, the, the part of the reason I loved his tweet yesterday about the stock market was, like, he was yelling at the stock market this sort of, like, kind of like an abstract concept, like he was talking to like one of his enemies like he was like you're making a big mistake stock market so i th- i think he would honestly i think that his first instinct and probably second and third like if it comes down to it and the markets are doing badly like and he's campaigning for 2020 he's he's going to just start slamming wall street like he did when he was campaigning um in 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 the last round because obviously like as we said his base is not invested they they blamed wall street obviously uh rightfully for the 2008 financial crisis so like i can totally see him just saying oh well it's it's these evil traders it's it's the stock market it's not my fault i did everything right oh this is depressing i know um, he's yeah he's all he's um, the worst <laughs> so okay so Let's talk about the 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 um, the, the repercussions of this. Um, yes. So it's interesting because there, I I I have this I have this feeling that mm-hmm. there are Democrats on Wall Street, and there yeah. are actually a number of them oh, um, yeah. who who are torn. And I think a lot of Democrats in general, not just on Wall Street, but who who are torn by the idea of they are torn that. If the markets crash, then Trump looks bad. Right. But if the markets crash, then they lose money and right. they're kind of torn yeah. up, over this. Is that something that you're hearing? Yeah, I definitely think that that is um, a situation that, like, internally a lot of people are feeling. I think that there's a lot of people who, you know, like Go- uh, Goldman Sachs, Lloyd Blankfein, uh, J.P. Morgan, Jamie Dimon, they're, they're Democrats, and I think that they – whether or not they've fully expressed them publicly, I think that they think Trump is like, you know, a pox on society. But obviously, also, you know, they they love these tax cuts. And I don't think that they're upset that the market's doing well. So I think definitely a lot of people are sort of struggling with that internally. Okay, so so I remember in 2008, when when shit was really hitting the fan yeah. and and it was you know we were we were not as globalist then even as we are today even yeah. with the nationalism that Trump has been trying to put forward and, and Bannon and so on and so forth um but i remember this headline that became kind of a meme uh-huh. that if the us sneezes asia catches a cold if yeah. the us sneezes europe catches a cold if yep. the us sneezes china catches a cold <laughs> like it was literally uh, there was i remember reading an article the, uh, on NPR that had literally put pulled all of them together and there was like hundreds of them all around the globe <laughs> on the front pages of Italian and Chinese newspapers and so on yeah. and so forth. So today, if we do, if the market continues in the direction it's going um, yeah. and uh, even if we come back up and then come back down and we do uh, hit a recession, can you lay out what you think will happen both in the U.S. 
and what you think will happen globally, how it affects uh, the economy globally. I mean, yeah, I think that obviously, as that meme <laughs> laid out, we're super interconnected and um, all of these things have domino effects. It's what we saw in 2008. Um, so, yeah, obviously, Trump is is he wants these protectionist, isolationist policies. They haven't completely – I think it will be interesting to see in terms – like he's he pulled out of um, – TPP. He's talking about pulling out of NAFTA. So I don't know how much that will have an effect on maybe us not having such a big impact on um, the rest of the globe. I think we still will have a pretty big impact. Obviously, um, he can't do as much damage as he would like to do in terms of um, making us a complete isolationist backwater. But yeah, I think I think if things go poorly here um, in terms of the stock market and in terms of the economy, which by the way, like the economy is doing well right now. Um, yeah, I, I still think it'll, so, it'll and, impact. And, and, and do you, um, do you think that, that this is something that could happen uh, in a, a like flash flood or is it something that's going to happen gradually? I see. That's that's again another answer, another question. That if I knew the answer to that, <laughs> <laughs> you'd be shorting um, the markets. I wouldn't be, you know, having my snarky daily columns. I would be doing something else. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I think Carl Icahn is right that it's it's going to be something that will happen over time. But I I wouldn't say don't don't take that to the bank. All right, so let's do a little game. Okay. Uh, um, of um, of I'll give you a name. Okay. And you give me a description of what this person's like. Okay. Uh, uh, if they're going to hell or heaven, okay. uh, whatever you kind of want to throw out there. Okay. Um, <laughs> these are all people uh, associated with um, with the Trump administration. Great. Uh, whether they're you know. Director of Office of Management and Budget, or yeah. um, uh, Secretary of Commerce, or something. So let's start off with the Secretary of Commerce, Wilbur Ross. <laughs> Wilbur <laughs> Ross. A, oh my God. Give us a. So first of all, Wilbur is like a cartoon character, like mustache twirling, cigar chomping, like nineteenth-century uh, railroad tycoon. Um, like he came into the the administration. Literally, he wore, um, like, velvet slippers to <laughs> Trump's first, like, big address to Congress. And I was shocked that he wasn't wearing a smoking jacket as well. But he I, – I, I feel like he's kind of somewhat not as big a character as other people. And I, I love, like, the Wilbur Ross downfall story. And it's pretty amazing. Like, within the last year alone <laughs> – He's been accused of stealing money from his ex-colleagues. He's been accused of insider trading. He's been accused of lying about how rich he is. That was the best story ever. Like he was he's been apparently What was that? What was that story? So allegedly he has been lying about his net worth to Forbes for like a decade and he's not actually a billionaire. I think like basically Forbes blew the <clears throat> well, that, story on it. Trump where, must Trump Trump must really like him then. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot and I sort of like – I could see it going both ways. 
Like, on the one hand, I could see Trump being super oh, point. mad that's that he's not point. as rich as he said he was. But on the other hand, like, you know, that's what he does. <laughs> um, um, and he falls asleep right, during going. meetings and supposedly wipes his drool with his tie. Did you read about that? He wipes what? He wipes his drool with his tie? That was that was, that was was a story that was, that was put out on the interwebs a few weeks ago. <laughs> oh God. So does he have any does he like have any power and control in this administration or is he just wiping drool off his tie? So supposedly he came in and he did like Trump knew him from like back in the 80s. And I think Wilbur actually like helped him in one of his bankruptcy uh, situations. But now apparently Trump is not happy with him at all. I think Axios wrote about um the fact that Trump has – he, like, blew up at him in an Oval Office meeting and was like, you know nothing about trade and just like, humiliates him regularly. And I think he's being completely sidelined. So, yeah, I think he might be one of the ones to to leave. So, do you, so your your prediction is uh, first he's going to hell, but do you think he's right. going to leave the White House before he gets there? Yes. Got it. That is, my, that is my prediction. And uh, and who do you think could be a, a replacement for Wilbur? I mean, I don't know. Like, they, they have, you know, some of the people who, I feel like half the people who work in the administration right now are just obviously complete and total clowns. And then they have some people that, like, sort of, like, bring an air of respectability, like Gary Cohn. But, you know, who's going to work there now? I think it's just yeah. going to, like, Lenny Dykstra is going to be <laughs> the next Commerce Secretary. All right, let's move on to someone else. Okay. Mike Mulvaney. Oh, he... Mick, sorry, Mick first, Mulvaney. First of all, he's not going to hell. I think, like, he is Satan. <laughs> I think he's, <laughs> he's currently... All right, tell us, give us some, like, for, you know, I'm sure a lot of listeners don't <laughs> don't know much about Mulvaney. Yes, Can yes. you give us some, like, stories on him? What makes him the so, devil? So, Mick... First of all, Mick has two jobs right now. One of them is he's running, you know, the the budget office, the o, the OMB um, at the White House. But he's also the acting director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which is interesting because in 2015, when he was a South Carolina, I believe, uh, representative, he co-sponsored legislation to get rid of the CFPB. He called it a sick, sad joke. And he said in an interview that he uh, would be happy if it didn't exist anymore. So he's one of these um Republicans who's been basically like decrying the CFPB since the day it came into existence. He basically thinks like – so for people who don't know, the CFPB is supposed to protect consumers from abuses by financial institutions, payday lenders. He's of the opinion that the CFPB is too mean to financial institutions and payday lenders and things like that. So basically he's like destroying the bureau. So he doesn't <clears throat> so he doesn't think that we should be looking out for average everyday consumers. He thinks we should be looking out for the financial institutions. Yeah, like he thinks that we've been way too mean to loan sharks over the past few years and he's coming to their um protection. He's basically destroying the institution from the inside. So a few weeks ago they literally loosened uh rules on payday lenders and um I just read the other day that they are uh scaling back their investigation of Equifax, which, as I'm sure many people know, allowed like half of America's very sensitive data to be hacked over the summer. But 
you know. And aren't the aren't the payday lenders the ones who um, I remember some stories a few years ago where they were uh, they were literally ripping off um, and driving into debt. Um, uh, people who uh, worked for, in the army, uh, yeah, um, in the marines, who, yeah. you know, uh, wanted needed their paycheck cash because they had to pay their mortgage and right. would, would do it instantly, but take forty percent and then charge them interest and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, and so he wants to eliminate the rules that have protected. I mean, it, it's. <laughs> I don't understand what it, it's like. It's amazing. He's like the Scott, like he and Scott Pruitt are kind of oh, like. Scott Pruitt, don't even get me started. <laughs> he and Scott Pruitt like are in a battle to see who can like screw over the the people that their agency are supposed to protect like more. Like and they then, just keep one upping each other. What are, so what are the people look? I mean, I have friends that are still still work for the U.S. government. They. Yeah. Um, you know, whether they're, you know, in at the FBI or mm-hmm. Homeland Security or whatever, and some that are within, you know, institutions that are that work closely with um, with the White House and so on, State Department and so on. And a lot, and there are people who, you know, they are like, okay, I've just got to keep my head down and do my yeah. job and make it through the next three years. And they... Um, and they try not to look at Trump's tweets because they feel like they're disparaging to what they do for a living. And, right. And, and for them, they're like, I'm going to be the bigger person. Yeah. But when you're working – like if I worked at the EPA yeah. and Scott Pruitt was my boss, like I would probably hang myself in my office one day. I know. Because I, I just couldn't deal with what, what they're doing. Like for people have, – you know, have you spoken to people that work from Mulvaney? Like do you know – what what the feeling is like uh, or anyone that's that's involved in in trying to protect consumers seeing someone like that so i i haven't personally talked to anyone who works for mulvaney but it's sort of like the same thing that's going on at all of these in all of these departments like i've i've spoken to people who have been career staffers at the treasury and they just like can't believe what steve Mnuchin is is doing there and it's just like so demoralizing to them like I I guess in December when he had been promising up and down he was going to put out this big report showing that the tax cuts were going to pay for themselves and then some. And then he never produced it. Congress was going to investigate why he hadn't. So he pulled this like three-quarter of a page, basically a press release out of his ass saying – yeah, tax cuts will pay for themselves using, you know, a ridiculous set of assumptions and just the people internally were mortified and just like can't believe that, you know, this guy is running the treasury. And I think it's I think obviously that feeling is similar as you go from whether it's the CFPB or the but, treasury. Okay. So we're going to go go to a couple more names, but okay. um but but the question that I have that I don't understand and maybe you don't, no one does, uh, <laughs> including Trump himself, is, you know, when I look at these people that are in these administrations and running these things, is is it that Trump wants them to break because he thinks that's what his um, – uh, that's what his um, – uh, his administration, like his 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 base wants, uh-huh. or or is it that um, uh, that they want 
th that they think that, that he thinks that the government is broken and that's and this is the way to fix it, or <laughs> or <laughs> is it that he just doesn't give a shit and he's just doing his friends a favor and putting them in the place that they want to be and could care less about the repercussions of it? I mean, I, feel I look at someone like Pina Navarro, right? Yeah, who staunch critic on China, <laughs> um, uh, totally an opponent. Uh, um, opponent of the TPP. Yeah. And every economist you talk to will tell you that Navar Navarro is a total misguided lunatic that doesn't yeah. know what the hell he's talking about. And right. yet is like, you know, uh, telling the president what to do in these situations. <laughs> what the? Ugh. Ugh. What, I don't understand <laughs> what the, is that, what's the larger plan or or is the whole point that there is oh, a larger plan? Oh, I mean, do we really think there's a larger plan? I think. But, but okay, but you, okay, so let's just, if, if I'm picking Pruitt, yeah. right, to run the EPA as an right. example, right, or Mnuchin or whatever. Yeah. I'm sitting down in a room with a bunch of people and you've got Paul Ryan calling me and Mitch McConnell yeah. and all these people. And there's – and granted, I'm Donald Trump, but I don't read any reports and I don't <laughs> – I don't even, you know, like all I'm doing is yelling at Fox News and CNN. Right. But you're still you're, – there's still people saying things to you. Yeah. And are the people I, – I, I guess it's like – it's literally – it's so perplexing to me. Are the people saying to you, don't – do this or do this because the, of what will happen because that's a good thing like that's the part where I think I'm really I just don't understand I don't understand at all I mean I think in the case I assume in the case of Pruitt and the EPA that's just a matter of he just like while he's there while he's in office he is just gonna like however much he has to screw the environment in order for like his friends to build new coal mines and, you know, whatever it is, as many regulations as he can roll back there in order to, like, have his buddies make more money. I think I think that's definitely the thinking there. Um, and Mulvaney? Yeah, I think so, too. Obviously, you know, he, he's got his two-for-one deal on, on regulations, two, one in, two out. That's his favorite thing to talk about. Um, what is the one in, two out? Oh, yeah, yeah. So this is his... He he's mentioned this several times where he said for every one new regulation proposed, you have to get rid of two. You just <laughs> that's how it works. So that's his so, two for one deal. So sad. I know. It's it's like the <clears throat> opening of like a TGI Fridays or you know, it's it's, <laughs> it's basically what it is. The U.S. government, with the same <laughs> philosophy as TGI Fridays, yeah. now run with the same philosophy. Um, uh, all right, uh, Mnuchin. Oh um, God, Steve Mnuchin. So uh, currently, United States Secretary of Treasury. Yes. Um, his wife, uh, Louise Linton, which we should also talk about. Yes. Uh, um, has been in some softcore porn mm -hmm. uh, movies. <laughs> you can see them on the internet. Just Google her name. Um, uh, Steve was, you know, funding um, uh, movies. Uh, give us, tell us a little bit more about him. Um, is he as stupid as he looks? I think um, that he is definitely as stupid as he looks, um, if not stupider. <laughs> he and he uh, over 
I think it's definitely been uh, – so he always seemed like he wasn't that smart. And, you know, people who knew him at Goldman Sachs and um, knew him in the hedge fund world think it's absolutely terrifying that he uh, is in this role. He is, like, the least qualified person to ever be Treasury Secretary. Um, and he's also just, like – I don't know if we say this anymore, but he's just like a douche and he always has been. I read this story. I don't know if it's from Business Week or wherever it was. Like he drove a Porsche or a Porsche or a Ferrari when he was an undergrad at Yale. And like that's just I feel like a metaphor for like who he still is. Um, And I really feel like over the last six to eight months, he has become such a – just, you know, he's he's got I don't think out of anyone in a position on his level, no one else has more publicly put their head up Trump's ass than him. Like he he defended him with Charlottesville. He I think he put out a press release the other day just talking about how great Trump's speech in Ohio was. Like it he's just he's uh, he's terrible. But, you know, what a woman, Louise Linton. <laughs> What a woman. Uh, <laughs> let, let them eat cake. Um, so to, to correct me if I'm wrong, Mnuchin is a direct result of nepotism, yes. uh, stupidity, and driving a Ferrari to, to, to undergrad. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> last question on Mnuchin. You think he's going to be around for the entire four years? I mean, four years. Like, is he, is, he, is, is he because he has his head so far up Trump's ass? And there's a lot of heads up there. So, yeah. you know, I don't know how much room there is. There but, are. Um, uh, uh, because he's 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 so praising of him that he will uh, he'll make it through. So I think that he's you know four years is a long time for like anyone in a job like this, even if your boss is not insane. I think what he has going for him for longevity is the fact that one, yes, he's done a good job kissing Trump's ass, so Trump likes him. But two, I just think he doesn't. You look at Gary Cohn and Gary Cohn because he is a smart person and used to be surrounded by smart people, you can tell he has this emotional fatigue of working there. I don't think Steve Mnuchin has that at all. I think Steve Mnuchin thinks, this is great. I love working here. So I I see some longevity for him. This is so much (laughs) fun. I know. All right, can we go – can – we're going to go back to my favorite mooch in a minute as, okay. as our, clo- as our closer. Great. Uh, but is there anyone I'm missing on the uh, – um, I don't think uh, there's – Eileen Chow. Uh, um, I don't think there's anyone you're missing on the current roster, but I would love <clears throat> to note that there was that report in Politico, I think in December, about the rumor that um, if and when Gary Cohn puts himself out of his misery, his replacement could be Larry Kudlow. Um, I'm not sure if the audience is familiar with Larry Kudlow, but tell, tell us tell us more about Larry. So Larry works for good old Reagan, obviously, um, and then he uh, was at Bear Stearns, dearly departed Bear Stearns. But he left before Bear Stearns went out of business because he was forced to resign because he had a Coke problem. A um, Coke problem, and then he went on to CNBC, right, to run the Kudlow yeah. report. And then he went on to CNBC, where he, you know, now. It's great because we have like video footage of him being wrong about everything on the like <laughs> the night before the financial crisis. He was saying, you know, everything's good. And he was saying that the people predicting a crisis coming were bubbleheads and that all good. 
So And so he could be he could he could be dragged off CNBC and back over to to the West Wing. Yeah, I don't help. actually think he's on CNBC right now. Um, he but he's got he a was book on out CNBC. now. I think on Reagan and JFK or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah, but he's a he's he's got time, so he's he's got to he can pe- pencil them to his schedule. All right, let's get to to our our last name. Actually, one last name before we get to our last name. Yes, uh, uh, um, the vice Mr. Vice President, sir. Yes. Uh, do you believe that he, uh, he's involved in any of this stuff? Like, is he, you know, is he, is he kind of saying, Hey guys, I mean, he doesn't, he's look, I think he's, he's equally as awful as the rest of them in my personal point of view. I think that he, um, and he's got major, major mommy issues. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mother. Um, uh, I just think most of these guys actually have like, when you look at them, uh, they have, you know, they just were not hugged enough as a kid. Oh yeah. Um, uh, it really is true. Like, um, uh, I remember listening to a little, little side note here. I remember listening to, um, this podcast, um, on, uh, um, uh, was it crime town? I believe it was. And it uh-huh. was about, um, in the Northeast, uh, the mayor who was, you know, essentially a gangster. And yeah. they interviewed these real gangsters, mm-hmm. uh, these real mobsters for the for the piece, which is amazing. And yeah. they, you know, they talk about how they ended up where they ended up was because, you know, their dads and their moms never hugged them as a kid. And and you see, like, the same thing with, you know, Trump and yeah. all these folks. Like, it's it's totally this them. This. Like, Trump's dad was the biggest monster, yeah. I, like, there was. And <laughs> and and Trump has, is now ruining our lives. Right, because of his dad. That, Thank you, Fred yeah. Trump. Thank you, Fred. So, um, <laughs> uh, so back to, uh, to Mr. Vice President. Yes. Um, Mr. Pence, uh, <laughs> is he kind of like saying, "Hey guys, maybe uh, maybe we should uh, be careful with this whole economy thing"? Because I want to be president after this, or I, I don't know. I don't think so. Obviously, the bar is low for intelligence there, and you know he's definitely smarter than Trump. I don't think you know. I could be wrong, but. I don't think he did great things for Indiana's economy when he was there. So I don't think he's like this economic <laughs> guru. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's it, it's hard to know what he's saying to them because he obviously is running this shadow campaign. So it, it's unclear, like, what how, – how he thinks that he's going to end up um, – you know, like what moves he's making in terms of trying to be president next. But I, I think he just like generally tries to like stay away from like anything that's going on so he can have plausible deniability in it. All right, let's get back to my favorite pet, yes. the mooch. I think if I get another dog, I'm going to call it the mooch. That would be amazing. Uh, but it would have to be like a, you know, really cool, funny, yeah. bombastic <laughs> little mutt for sure with, like with one leg and <laughs> obviously uh, and I'll, only keep him, I'll only keep him for 10 days and then i'll give him back oh um, please do that <laughs> uh, all right do you think that there is a return for the mooch uh i know it probably wouldn't happen under john kelly running <laughs> the west wing but it's unclear how much longer john kelly will be able to yeah um it seems that the mooch has been you know, at the end of, you know, going back to uh, Bill Cohen's um, piece in the magazine right. about Mr. Mooch, and 
he he's talking about how he loves Donald Trump. It's amazing. Just how incredible he is. And he says, he says, the guy's a winner. <laughs> he says he's been winning his whole life. He's not a choke artist. He'll hit the shot. He, oh. And he, he likens him to Michael Jordan in the last sh- shot of the championships it's, when he just wanted the ball. And he said, that's Trump. It's, it's um, amazing. You know, he came out and defended Eric Trump when... When Bannon, who he famously, the mood Donnie, famously Donnie said, Jr. Sorry, Donnie, Johnny Jr. No, yeah. I'm sorry. When he uh, he famously said about Bannon that what was it that he's busy trying to suck his own? Yeah, yeah. Beat? He said he said that Bannon was uh, performing uh, audio fellatio in his office. Uh, uh, pretty impressive, if true. Yeah. But um, <laughs> uh, but he came out and defended uh, little little Donnie and. Yeah. Um, He's, he's clearly trying to get back in. Am I right or am I wrong? I mean, that's how I see it. He's. He, I think what he said about little Donnie was that he's the least treasonous person in America. It's it's always like the least racist, the least treasonous person in America. And actually, this is a deep cut, but back when he and Bannon were still friends, he tweeted that Bannon was the most misunderstood man in America. So it's like there's no nuance with this guy. But um, yeah, I mean, it really – it really seems like he would sell one of his kidneys to get back in with Trump. I kind of wonder if he'll be doing more um, re-election stuff. I definitely think 100% he's going to be working on the 2020 campaign. Um, I'm less certain about him going back to the White House, but, you know, that would be amazing. And maybe John Kelly is on his way out. Maybe the mooch is Trump's next chief of staff. Oh my God! Could you imagine how I amazing mean, that would be? I, I literally couldn't ask for the only better chief of staff would be would be Donnie Jr. Yes, I agree. I uh, would take either of them. Barring that, I think uh, the Mooch would be amazing. Um, wait, so you just said that uh, when the Mooch and, and Bannon were 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 close and they were friends, yeah. I didn't realize that. I didn't know that they, there was a time that they were close. What so, what was the so, thing that? I don't know if they were like, you know, best buddies, but he wasn't, you know, saying that he was blowing himself in his office. So this was I'm pretty sure this tweet was like during the transition. And he yeah, he tweeted like Steve Bannon is the most misunderstood man in America. Great man. Because like he only has he only has, you know, these ridiculous statements he makes like Jared Kushner is the next Alexander Hamilton or like you're a swamp creature and you know you suck your own dick like there's only two modes with him yep it's uh it's, it's really something <laughs> and i hope that he is he you know chief of staff maybe one day even president so um uh so we're we're coming to the end of the podcast oh, and so since fun. we started I, I mean I know we could keep talking for hours about these people. <laughs> um I mean we didn't even get to Kellyanne or oh, uh Javanka. Jared and Ivanka. Uh maybe we'll maybe we'll do like a, a quick um a quick uh, lightning round with oh, them. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh but um uh the market you know, has it looks um, it looks like the ridge back of an old dinosaur right now, like yeah. jabbing up and down. It's um, <laughs> it's uh, it's now just down four hundred and seventeen. So we've gone up a hundred points since we began. Yeah. Uh, um, how long do you think we have um, before we kind of know um, uh, which direction this is going to go? Is this is this going to be a speedy thing, or is this going to be? 
um, kind of very similar to the way the world works now, where things happen much quicker than they ever used to. Um, you know, I, I do think that we we shall see the results of uh, of all these decisions from the White House um, yeah. happen in in a in a pretty short period of time. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think. Uh... Yeah, we're we're in we're in for some excitement. I think I think it's gonna be some excitement. <laughs> at least we're, hey, at least you know we're broken on the sidelines and just yeah. get to watch. Uh, yeah, we have so much less to lose. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. All right, light lightning round, very quickly. Okay. Uh, uh, Kellyanne Conway here to stay off on on a little boat somewhere. Uh, here to stay. She is she is in it to win it. Um. Uh, Jared, Jared. Um, ooh, Jared's a tough one. I think Jared is he going it, to jail? <laughs> I think that yes. I see. Maybe he's going to follow in the footsteps of Charlie Kushner. Um, Charlie Kushner, his father. Oh, got it. His dad. Yes. 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 Absolutely. Greatest. I, I think so. There was. Yeah, I've heard some. I've heard some pretty funny comments about greatest that. greatest uh, story of someone going to prison ever. No, just the uh, the, the total craziness. <laughs> um, uh, um, okay, uh, and then let's just end on America's favorite first daughter, Ivanka Trump. I mean i I hope that she. <laughs> I hope that she gets back to her uh, her shoe and purse line soon but you know you never know with Javanka you can never you can never count her out she's she always she always figures out a way do you think she'll be uh the first female president as she thinks she'll be oh god um I hope I'm I hope I'm dead by then but um I I would say no but again you, you never know with this lady She's got she's got her social media presence. She's got women who work, and that's really all you need. <sighs> on that note, I am going to go and put a picture of Mulvaney on the <laughs> dartboard next to the one of Scott Pruitt in my office. Great idea. Next to the one of Mnuchin. I mean, I, I just I, I don't. I mean, I might need a whole wall of dartboards. Um, yeah. Best Levin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having uh, me. I, I look forward to seeing which direction the market goes over the next 24 hours to three and a half years. Me too. And, um, uh, and thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. You're listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. Uh, John Kelly, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Uh, that was a fascinating conversation I just had with our colleague Bess. What is so fascinating is that when Bess and I first started talking earlier today, the markets had fallen around 500 points. Uh, by the, ten- the end of our conversation, about 45 minutes in, they had fallen. It had, it had risen a little. It was down 400 points. And now, as I jump on the phone with you, a few hours later, the market fell another 632 points, and it's down 1,032 for the Dow. I mean, it's just like you can't even turn around and, uh, uh, and something crazy hasn't happened uh, do you think you think we're in the beginning of a recession? Is this it? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think I, I think it looks bad, Nick. Um, and I, I would have said that even before, uh, you know, the, the 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 crash on that started on Friday and and, and continued through pre trading hours on Monday and early in the week. I mean, you know, you talked about this with 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 our other colleague Bill Cohan a, a couple of weeks ago. The stock market boom that Trump has taken credit for really started under Obama, you know, who, who was inherited like 
this absolutely uh, abysmal economy. You know, we forget in the era of Trump just how unbelievably shitty of a president uh, George W. Bush was. But it's important to remind us every now and then, as revolting as Donald Trump is, he has not entangled us in in foreign wars uh, w- w- without obvious necessity or. Um, uh, proved unable to, to pronounce some of the, the most uh, simple words uh, that a preschooler could. But I don't want to digress too much. Obama inherited a, a stock market, that, uh, a Dow below 10,000. He left it with a Dow at like 17,000. So Trump really kind of, you know, played in the extra credit zone. And it does seem like the, the market is super saturated at 25,000. And it, it will have to, you know, it would have to at some point uh, decrease. But the thing that scares me, depresses me, grosses me out, whatever, is that, you know, one of the hot talking points now is that the stock market is not the economy. And that's kind of true. You know, I think only 10 or 15 percent of Americans are in some way represented in the stock market. P- people like you and I are are involved only because we're, we probably we're, have... We're, like, we're in Bitcoin. I mean, come on, let's be honest. We're, I know, we're, I know. Uh, we're, 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 we're real players, man. Yeah, we're only, we're only messing around in crypto. But but most of us are just involved in the stock market through investments in our 401ks or, or Roth IRAs or whatever. The thing yeah. that drives me a little crazy is that the people who manage risk on Wall Street, they do fine when the market goes up. They do fine when it goes down. They're managing this risk. The, the, the so-called American people, many of them are, are, um, are deeply screwed no matter what. And it's frustrating that Trump has tied the performance of the stock market to the, um, the outcomes of everyday Americans because that's just bullshit. You know, most people, um, most middle class and lower middle class people are are enjoying, you know, single hundred dollar stimuluses through his his tax plan. All he's doing is um, is looking at his own pocketbook. So uh, I'm I'm decidedly negative about all of this. Well, it is so unlike you, John Kelly, know, to be negative about anything. We yeah, should show actually me have a, a, a bunch of little children at a park, and I will provide a thundercloud for you, Nick. I, I'm sure you will. We should have a uh, uh, a, a week where we, we search for something that you're not negative about. Give the me thing a feel-good think... story. I swear to God, I'll make you feel terrible. <laughs> Chicken soup for the soul. It'll get you yeah, sick right. with food poisoning. Um, uh, no, I completely agree. I mean, look, I think Bess is 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 really right on talking about how you know the 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 folks that that Trump brought in from Goldman and Bear Stearns and uh, all these guys are just, they're just out for themselves. The, they are not trying to make sure that the economy doesn't collapse, that we don't end up in a recession. Uh, they're just, you know, they're thinking about everything. The thing that I found the most fascinating about what she said is that there is nothing that they can do now to fix this problem. You know, that right. that all, all the regu- deregulation has happened um uh they um they are um uh the the tax credits and the tax plans and the tax cuts all are taking place like there's you know barring donald trump just quitting uh there's nothing that i think that would happen that that could affect the markets in a positive way, I don't know actually if Donald Trump quitting would affect the markets in a positive way. It depends, I guess, yeah. who was taking over. It's un- it's uh, unclear that you know, uh, and Bill actually noted this in, in a story of the High Roller this week. It's unclear how the markets have priced Trump because it, it's you know, it, it must be noted that both Democrats and Republicans were very much in favor of uh, uh, lowering the corporate tax rate. Obama himself tried to do it a number of times, although it's hard for a Democrat to um, 
to uh, put, put one's neck out there, given how how leftward the, the, the party was growing and has become. But it is so unquestionably people, you know, corporations, which Mitt Romney noted, are people too, but but actually are are not really. Um, they're going to do well in all this, but the money that they're going to throw off, so to speak, goes to the most of the people who who, who need it the least, and um, uh, it's it's gross, right? And it's also it's also tricky because you know, we're, we're, we're talking about this like in this sort of amid this miasma of incompetence with, you know, as you guys noted with Rob Porter, potential government shutdown, like, you know, Mike Pence somehow, as usual, being like marooned in Korea with Mother Pence and um, avoiding all blame. And it's hard to even know if the administration is taking this seriously, like if Steve Mnuchin is taking this seriously, are, are measures in place for what might happen if um, if the they're stock market? They're not taking any. Come on, they're not taking anything seriously other than themselves. I think. Um, well, I, I think they, you're right. The, the only point that, that I would suggest is that Trump has so short-sightedly tied himself to the the stock market price that um, or to, to the, the 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 Dow um, that if it does go down and it will. Uh, it will factor in in 2018, and it will it will it becomes an easy 2020 talking point. I mean, can, can, you can imagine it now. Um, you know, Donald Trump well took office. It, it was tw- you know 22,000, and and now we're having this conversation. It's 18. Are you better off today than you were three years ago? I don't think so. Yeah, but you know, here's the problem, um, and it's a problem that 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 we've discussed before, and that I've discussed with other guests on the show before, is that the Democrats have no idea. There's no organization. They have no idea how to to get that message out there, um, and uh, and Trump will figure out some magical way of blaming them, or you know, or coming up with something where he says, "Well, the Wall Street isn't, you know, the market isn't is only ten to fifteen percent of you know of Americans are invested," and he'll come up with some bullshit thing, and uh, and and the Democratic you know committee will will have no response. Because they just don't know what the hell they're doing, and so, you know, I've, it, I don't understand why they're not out there in the streets, being like, "Look at what Trump did this week with all of his bad planning and his and his deregulation and this, that, and the other." And you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. It's just going to be another disaster, uh, like everything else he's done. Um, but they're not, um, and so, you know, Trump will figure out a way uh, to spin it um, uh, to make himself look good, like it's not his fault. Well, where, it gets, where it gets tricky is that um, people like me and you who are politically liberal but have retirement accounts tied to um, large companies through you know, mutual funds or whatever, like I do want the stock market to tank to prove to the American public how um, how little Trump cares about uh, their their gains and their opportunities, but I also would like to be able to retire one day. So it's a, it's a very conflicted position that I find myself in, and I imagine you feel similarly. Uh, well, I told you I have all my money in Bitcoin, which yeah, by right. the time I, I retire will be... keep talking about it. I, sh- I should really be doing that. Uh, I actually really don't have all my money in Bitcoin. Uh, uh, but it was another shitty week for the cryptocurrencies. I mean, Bitcoin hit a... Hit a, hit a um, it dropped to like 6,000 this week. It was, it was back to... Um, to you know, uh, a year ago levels. There was also I I feel the need to bring this up because it's something we've talked about on the show before. You know, the SEC is looking into regulation with the ICOs. Um, 
there's, uh, um, you know, Vanguard's chief, speaking of our 401k, said this week that he thinks that there's a decent probability that Bitcoin goes to zero. I think that's mm. complete and utter garbage. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, uh, but, um, you know, because it doesn't necessarily help him if it goes up. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a pretty shitty week all around for anybody who invested anything in anything related to money. Um, so, you know, well, let, I don't know. I, I, I want to ask you about another um, another type of uh, of market investment. Two of the um, two companies that had surprisingly good weeks were Snapchat and Twitter. I I, I, I was I think you were more surprised than I was, but I, I was very surprised. the The narrative on both companies has been totally depressing, uh, especially you know given that Facebook itself had its first I think ever d- decline in in, um, in daily active users in, in the United States and, and Canada. Yeah, it was the f- First time in in the company's history, and since it literally began, that they have seen a decline. I mean, granted, on a percentage level, it was a small one, but sure. still, it was a million Half a percent, users. Yeah. Uh, that um, uh, uh, it was a million users that that no longer check it on a daily basis, uh, which is what's fascinating. And I I feel like I get to pat myself on the back here. Go uh, for it. Is that a couple weeks ago I wrote this piece saying that um, that you know, all the stuff that's going on at Facebook, all these changes that we're seeing are not a result of Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook trying to be more um, uh, moral or conscientious or, you know, do the right thing, that it is uh, that uh, my theory was um, that people are not using the platform as much and that I have literally everyone I know used to have Facebook on their mobile phone. Now, I, I think I know like two people that have uh, Facebook on their phone, um, and um, they—I just don't check it. No one I know checks it. Um, and my theory was that uh, that that was a problem. When I I remember there was an argument that erupted on Twitter with a couple of I don't know people like tech people that said, "Oh, it's just anecdotal uh, what I wrote, and um, there's no data to prove it." And here is the data presented to you by Facebook. Um, and 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 I think that the other thing to think about is, you know. It's probably more than a million people because Facebook has, you know, all the social networks have these little tricks where they send you a note to try to get you to click. You know, maybe they'll tell you your password needs to be reset or your username needs to be checked or your long lost girlfriend checked out your Facebook page and liked something. Um, So I'm sure that the actual daily active users is less than even they say. Um, But this is a this is a troubling sign for them. It's you know, it's. It's a it's a over a decade into this company and um, and it doesn't it doesn't look good. What's so fascinating is that you can now see, and I think this is one of the first times I've actually seen this, that there's almost like a a, a ceiling of the amount of users and a ceiling of the amount of money uh, that goes into these companies. And as you saw, the daily active users go down on Facebook. And even on Twitter, a little bit, you saw the user signups go down. You saw them go up on Snap. And I wonder if next quarter we'll see them go up on Twitter and down on Snap and so on and so forth. But it's no longer um, let's get some new people on here. It's more, much more of like which if I push this lever down, does it push that one up? Well, <clears throat> these social media companies are always selling a new story to Wall Street about how they should be valued. I mean, you, you, you've you noted this before. You noted it in, in piece this week. Um, uh, revenue, profit, monthly active users, daily active users, users who who look at the uh, platforms on their phone. Um, why did Snap and Twitter surprise investors? Um, 
with their quarterly earnings reports? Uh, what what do they do well, and and how do you think investors will be judging these social media platforms moving forward in an era where there just isn't that much more room to grow? I think that um, I think that that Wall Street has never known how to value these companies, um, and uh, you know, I remember uh, when Dick Costolo was CEO of Twitter and. He had gone around to to all the all the firms and you know as they were getting ready for the IPO and he was doing his song and dance and and I remember hearing from a source at the company who was there um, that each meeting they went to with investors with Wall Street the question of well of of how to invest you know of, of the value of the company was was put forward with a different question. It was, oh, well, how are your monthly active users? Or how is your ad engagement? Or how are your mobile users? And it was a perfect example of the fact that they, that Wall Street had no fucking idea what they were asking about. Um, and I think to this day, they still don't know. You know, uh, um, you know, Facebook stock fell a little because their daily active users um, fell, uh, even though Twitter didn't really grow its user base that much. Uh, um, and hasn't really over the past couple of years, the stock shot up uh, because um, it's profitable. And so is it, so which is it? it? It can't be all of them. Uh, it has to be some of them. Uh, and, I, and I don't think that, that they know. What I do wish, um, you know, uh, is that, and I, and I think Jim Carrey, uh, of all people, right. had it right this week. He, he tweeted that he had um, sold all of his Facebook stock and deleted his Facebook page because he thinks that the company is not doing enough or anything really to avoid uh, what happened with uh, Russia on the platform from happening again. And and I think, you know, that was kind of like an ethical cry of like, you need to, you know, we need to be doing better. People who invest in this company shouldn't be investing in a company that's, that's essentially screwing up our democracy. And he... Um, and he was right. I just kind of wish that Wall Street would follow suit um, just once, you mm-hmm. know, even just to send a message to these companies that uh, that what they're doing is is bullshit. And I think, you know, Twitter is just as bad. They took, you know, they didn't respond to Congress with answers to Russian meddling uh, in time. They just don't don't seem like they take it that seriously. They deleted a million bots after this big New York Times article a couple weeks ago, and those bots are probably already back on the platform. Um, you know, it's it sucks that the one thing that could actually make these companies do the right thing, which is Wall Street, has no interest in in enforcing their hand. Well, let me get you out on this question. If you were to if you were an investment advisor in your next life, Nick, and you could pick between Facebook a, a Lambo or a Ferrari. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, sorry. No. You can't you can't invest in Bitcoin in this hypothetical game. Um Got it's it. it's only in uh, uh, American technology companies. If if you had a million bucks to put in Facebook or Twitter or Snap today, uh where would you put it? And you can't oh take it out God. for you can't you can't take it out for for 5 years. That's a great question. Uh can I and I do I have to put it all in one company? All in one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All in one, all or nothing, baby. Oh my god, that's like that's like murder, fuck, marry. Like, yeah, you give me like yeah. the three worst people on earth to do it with. Um, I think uh, I 
how long do I have? Five years? Yeah, it's gotta be it's gotta be a long term play. Five years. So you're 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 betting whether one of them like gets bought by another, one of them gets pushed out of business. If if Facebook takes a dip, but but then like you know through brilliant leadership it, it iterates on something and 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 is you know the next great movie studio or whatever. Like yeah, long long term enough that that um, it's a it's a meaningful decision. These are tough questions, man. You know, that's what we do I here. I think if I had to. If I had to, had to, and it's five years, I Just would say it. I know what you're going to say. Snap. Oh, snap. Well, that's not what I thought you were going to say. No, I, I wouldn't do Facebook. I don't think – I think Facebook has a real potential problem. Like, I, I remember when I first started writing about these social media companies, and I had a good friend, Om Malik, who has been covering tech for eons, and – he said, you know, one of the things he saw was back in the day when he first started writing about this stuff for, for like, you know, Business Week, the old, old Business Week. Yeah. Um, he, um, and then later, uh, GigaOM, his, his blog, he said that there were all these guys that used to cover servers and, and women, men and women that were reporters, and they covered the server industry and, and you know, and, and all the chip makers and this, that, and the other. And when all that stuff kind of went away and it went into the cloud and it wasn't relevant anymore and no one cared about reading it and it became about social, a lot of these older reporters had a really hard time covering it. And part of it was that they never used the stuff. They didn't use it, so they didn't know how to write about it. Right. Um, and, um, and, what, and I think that the, by the things that you use kind of really tell a story as a reporter – um, uh, the, and the things that you're interested in tell a story about kind of what the rest of the public is interested in. And I, I don't have some sort of like, you know, big data company that's telling me that Facebook is in trouble, but I do have my gut and the people that I talk to who are, who are both tech creators and, um, and analysts and users and ex-employees and then family members um, and friends and neighbors. And everything consistently says, I don't like using Facebook right, anymore. It's right. not fun. Um, it makes me feel icky. That being said, you know, maybe Instagram becomes Facebook. Maybe as Maya, uh, our colleague, wrote this week that Facebook starts to fuck with Instagram to try to get Facebook alive again. Who knows what could happen? But on the... In the version of it that I see today, I don't think that um, – I don't know how that company can save itself. As far as Twitter goes, if Donald Trump is reelected – Yeah, yeah. That, that, that was, that, that was a, a kind of charity um, uh, submission into the question. I, I didn't expect you to pick Twitter. No, but if you know, it's so funny. I saw a, a report from an analyst this year that made me kind of almost choke uh, on my coffee, and it was this – I forget who the analyst was, but they – there was someone who who said that they believe that um, Twitter the stock will be a ten bagger uh, over the next couple of years, and a ten bagger is something that is going to grow by ten x. It's like a phenomenon, like that rarely happens. Like who Facebook, said that? I guess was a ten. It was some analyst, some some investor. I think it's the biggest pile of dog shit I've ever heard in my yeah, entire yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Like Twitter is not growing by 10x. It may continue to go up slowly. It may have some good quarters. It may figure out how to be profitable. But there is no world in which Twitter has a billion users ever, 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 ever. Like I, I would bet my pinky on that. Um, uh, and and I and I think that um, you know Snap has an opportunity. I don't know how hungry Evan Spiegel is. Um, you know Amazon. Pretty hungry. Is, I mean, it, it's he's 
He's a ballsy guy. Um, yeah, no, I totally agree, and and I think that um, so so if you wanted to, you know, I'm I'm not a I'm not a big gambler, which is why I don't really invest in stocks or Bitcoin or any of that stuff. But but um, if I was, I think if I was going to, I'd be like one of those one of those like cokehead, crazy drunk investors that's like fucking throw it all on Snap, and uh, and you know who knows. Yeah, you'd have the higher the higher upside. It, it, it's tricky because because inherent in that question is like the the, the subliminal question: of Who do you think is is the best, um, most visionary executive and manager? If you, and, and but I will say be, this before we before we go: If you did give me a million dollars and you told me I could invest it in one company, there isn't a question in my mind that it would be Amazon. Oh yeah, sure. That sure. is that my my prediction is it'll be the first trillion dollar company, um, and that. You know, kind of like in the movie Wall-E, where uh, there's one corporation that does everything. That's Amazon in the future. Nick, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I will. Uh, I will see you uh, next week. Yeah. See you then. Thanks, man. Thanks to my guest, Bess Levin, and of course, thanks to John Kelly. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a glowing, unbelievable, ravishing, fantastic 75-star review while you're there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thank you to you, the listener. Please support this podcast by sharing it with other people. I will see you all next week. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. From PR.